from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joel Mitchell. How are you, Joel? Well, I got into the office and saw that, again, my desk appears to be covered in dead midges, which is <laughs> kind of gross. Yes, this is a problem, right? Like, you introduce, like, greenage into the office and, and real greenage, not fake greenage. J- Jason's talking about pot plants, everybody. <laughs> what else would we be I, don't, I don't know. Greenage is a really strange word that I've literally never heard come out of your mouth ever. I, I know this episode's coming out after Christmas, but we are recording it pre-Christmas. My brain has decided to go on holidays. Yeah, early, so. I think that's a made-up word. Mm-hmm. Greenery. That's a, that's a better word. Greenery. No, greenery is, is, I think people would understand what you meant if you said greenery. Maybe we should just not have real things in the office, just have fake. Well, that's, that's the problem, isn't it? That we mm-hmm. do just struggle to keep things alive. Well, they've been going all right now that we've got they sunlight. They have, and, and Luke looking after them instead of us. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an issue. Black yeah. thumbs looking after <laughs> plants did not work. Yeah. No. Um, but, yeah, so I don't know because it was – was it like a month ago that it happened last time? So I yeah. don't know if it's like a hatching cycle or mm. if it's just something else that's unrelated to the potting mix at all. I don't know. Anyway, my desk is covered with – midgy carcasses which is really gross so yeah that's yeah. how i am this morning yes. how are you yeah good good my desk isn't where pl- uh, things go to die yeah. um yeah <laughs> so i don't have the same midgy problem that you do um yeah no good good um like i said my brain's starting to check out for, for christmas now it feels mm-hmm. like we've done a lot this year so yeah yeah one of these yeah. days we'll have to reflect back on you know what we've achieved everything that we've done yeah maybe that can be um friday friday's activity yeah, nachos and reflection. If we have nachos again, I think Dan is going to like launch a coup. Yeah, I've done a risk assessment. I'm wearing to wear that risk. So, <laughs> um, I love my nachos on a Friday. I know you do. Yeah, um, e- equally because you like how they taste and because of how Dan reacts when you have them, and how I don't have to think. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's that as well. One less decision to make. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Hey, um, but our uh, guest, guest isn't here. Yeah, to listen to us talk about our um. Eating habits and our greenery. And our bug carcasses. Yeah. Oh, I'm quite so. interested in the bug carcasses. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's introduce him in there. Yes. Um, so look, like Joel, he is an industrial organisational psychologist and has worked with Silicon Valley startups through to NYSE, which is New York Stock Exchange and ASX 100 companies. He publishes in academic and media publications and regularly speaks at national and international conferences. He is the Managing Director of Infinite Potential. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. John Chen. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Now, um, great to have you on, Jen, John. And um, like you said, you uh, regularly uh, talk at different um, uh, conferences and events, and that's actually how we met um, at a live panel that Ari hosted in Sydney uh, last month. So, um, yeah, really great to, uh, to uh, find a like-minded professional. So uh, I thought, let's get this guy on our podcast. So, um, yeah, really great to have you on today. And uh, it's a topic close to our heart, so looking forward to exploring it with you. Yeah, great. Thanks again. Like, really excited to be here. Uh, so before we do get into the topic of the day, 
can you share with our listeners what podcasts you like to listen to? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I guess the one that I probably listen to the most um, on a more on a regular basis is probably Rethinking with Adam Grant. It's probably mm-hmm. a pretty common, popular one. Um, but I try to stay away from sort of work type of related things when I'm listening to podcasts. So um, the other one that I've been listening to quite a while, I said throughout um, COVID, uh, was it's uh, Fake Doctors, Real Friends. I don't know if you know that one. It's basically, it's a Scrubs uh, a TV show kind of, um, kind of rewatching kind of podcast. Uh, really love the show you know, throughout uni and stuff. And it's kind of great to kind of listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's mm-hmm. more of those coming out now. So there's a parks and recreation mm-hmm. one and there's a, a Buffy mm-hmm. one that Jason and I are currently listening to. I listened to a few episodes of, um, uh, the entourage one, which oh, is, yeah. um, victory. Yeah. yeah the yeah. victory podcast. That was cool. I don't think I could stomach that entourage by itself was bad enough. Yeah, I don't think I don't think listening to people talking about. I don't think I don't think it would hold up in the twenty twenties. No, oh, it was. um, I think it Mm. probably the last one that they did. They shouldn't have done anyway. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, John, tell us about your professional career, please. Yeah, sure. Um, As um, Jason mentioned, my background is in industrial organizational psychology. Uh, I started my career in psychometric assessment, so developing a lot of um, like personality assessments, um, you know, 360s, those type of um, assessments. And I spent pretty much the majority of my career designing and implementing sort of talent and organizational development type of strategies and programs all around the world. Uh, so everything from high volume recruitment uh, programs, the performance management, engagement, talent, and uh, leadership. Uh, I've been lucky enough to kind of work all, um, both as an external consultant and internal HR roles um, all across the US, Australia, and throughout Asia. Um, I made this really conscious effort to kind of move between internal roles and external roles, uh, just to really be, uh, so that I can get a really good understanding about everything that's going on within sort of the HR and talent and you know within the HR industry. And when you're internal, you get to see what all of the vendors out there are doing. And then when you're a vendor, you get to work with all these different uh, organizations to see how they are uh, doing. So I've really loved that throughout my career. Um, and I've done a lot of work uh, in the leadership identification, development, and kind of succession space. And that's sort of where a lot of my work and then my personal interest in burnout really collided. So now um, I've been able to sort of balance both of those uh, right now to do a lot more uh, in the space. Yeah, great. It's um, it's really good to get that experience of sort of sitting both sides of the fence in that um, client um, vendor environment because I think it gives you that different perspective um, in, in whichever role you're performing that, you know, as, as the client, you understand sort of where the vendor's coming from and you can potentially um, get out ahead of, of issues or, or challenges and, and bring some context and, and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so, John, one of the things we wanted to talk about today um, is the work that you're doing through Infinite Potential. So that's a think tank where you're the managing director and it recently released a report on the state of workplace uh, workplace burnout. So as we get closer to the end of the year, you know, and a lot of talk around burnout, uh, this really caught our attention. So can you, first of all, maybe start as we unpack this um, by telling us a little bit more about the origins of this report? Yeah, sure. Um, At the beginning of 
the of COVID probably about three years ago. I thought it was a really interesting point in time where the majority of the world was kind of go through or it's going through sort of a really similar life event. You know, we were there was this event that was creating a lot of stress in all of us. You know, this big pandemic uh, coming, and there was also a lot of changes that was rapidly um, happening in terms of the way that we work. So all of these um, uh, rapid shift to remote working and other uh, ways of working. And I saw this as a really great opportunity to see how this kind of shared experience all around the world would affect uh, burnout. Uh, like as, as we all know, you know that this burn, uh, problem with burnout, it's not new, it's been going on for decades now. And I was just really curious to see how this event would either, you know, increase uh, the likelihood, maybe decrease it, or you know, what is actually going on. And at the very least, set sort of a baseline for uh, this particular period. And so another focus for me, um, as we were putting together this um, report, was that I was to kind of really create a shift away, or create a way to kind of shift the conversation on burnout away from the individual and really focus on those organizational structures and cultures that are causing burnout. We, um, you know, even a few years ago, there was so much out there already on burnout, all focused on the individual, you know, things that the person isn't doing, or, hey, if you did more of this, you might not have burnout. And, you know, so I guess taking it back a little bit, my dissertation research was on burnout um, back forever ago. <laughs> and in the past, Decade, my view of you know from that dissertation has really kind of shifted uh, completely. One, uh, I completely made a 180 on that. You know, my dissertation research was looking at personality traits that might help a person be more resilient to burnout. But after working, um, you know, all these years after that, I've really seen firsthand that when we're looking to address burnout, the source of the problems not the person; it's you know, the organization that they're kind of working in. Yeah, I probably had a similar um, philosophy change myself. I mean, I was really interested in um, positive psychology and so, you know, all the resilience and um, other self-care strategies, I guess, to promote flourishing and, you know, should be able to counter burnout, I thought. Um, and it really wasn't until I saw, you know, these little sugar hits of, you know, people practicing gratitude or acts of kindness or these sorts of things and how they really only led to short-term improvements in well-being. Um but without changing the environment that people were in, it didn't really seem to counter burnout or prevent prevent burnout from from occurring. Um, so interesting that you know two people with org site backgrounds <laughs> it took so so long <laughs> to to move away from that that's the individual kind of um, you know mindset around intervention to going well actually it's a systemic issue. Almost as if the undergraduate degree conditioned us to think about things at an individual level. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Fancy that. Um, John, before we get into more details from your report, can you give us um, or tell us how you currently define uh, burnout compared to how, well, yeah, instead of how you originally thought about it? Yeah, what, um, in, back in 2019, the World Health Organization, uh, they put out a definition of burnout and, defined, and they defined it as a syndrome resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Um, so, which means they have, which means that burnout is caused by organizational structures and cultures that is creating chronic stress in individuals. So um, we took that uh, definition because um, there are quite a few uh, definitions that's being used out there. And uh, this is the one that I 
and also others uh, researchers, I think you know by having a definition that we can all use, I think that has really helped in the last um, few years in making sure that we are all kind of uh, measuring this, uh, the same things. Uh, one thing that they also um, kind of defined was that the burnout um, consists of three dimensions. Uh, the first is feelings of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. So this, this is the one that we all kind of know and feel and can see uh, we're just really exhausted. Um, the second dimension is that increased feelings of disengagement or mental distance from work. So uh, almost having that cynicism uh, towards your job, like just hate everything that is going on, going on uh, with it, even though you probably you know, used to love your job and really enjoyed doing that work. Um, and finally, the third dimension is reduced professional efficacy. Um, that's just, you know, it's just harder to do the work that you know you can do or work that you used to be able to just, uh, you know, rock out. It takes you longer, you're making more mistakes, and you're just feeling like you're not doing your best work. And one thing I'd like to point out is that to be experiencing burnout, you know, to be defined as experiencing burnout, a person needs to be experiencing all three of those dimensions. And so just being really exhausted or just being really disengaged in your work doesn't mean you're experiencing burnout. I think it's really important as we, you know, when we look at other measures of uh, burnout, because a lot of times they might just focus on the exhaustion side or sometimes just the um, disengagement uh, side. That, but it is the combination of all three of these factors. So, just a, a random thought that popped into my head here, and feel free to. Um tell me that it's nonsense or if you don't know the answer. Um, I'm just thinking about like the whole um, sort of unpaid domestic labour side of things. Like if you are a stay-at-home mum, for example, um, would we actually be able to meet those criteria for, for burnout mm. doing doing that job? Like it, it's an unpaid job, but it's still a job in a sense. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good question. Um, there's been a lot of discussions with that, um, but I think what the, the according to the WHO definition, not only does it define what burnout is, it also just kind of describes what it isn't. And one of the things that it really tries to focus on is that burnout refers to that specific work experience, and it shouldn't be used to describe what a person might be experiencing in their personal life. So it doesn't mean that a person can't feel extreme levels of stress or disengagement or negativity and all of that stuff, but it's different than burnout. And so um, I guess that's a very consultant answer for you. <laughs> yes and no. That it... <laughs> oh, Joel's used to that one. It depends. It's, it's yes. me. That's, yeah, that's my answer. Everything anybody ever yeah. asks me is, it, well, it depends. Yeah. It depends. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so it sounds like you would have maybe a similar cluster of symptoms, but you would be um, diagnosing it as something different other than burnout. Yeah, that's right. Because, because of the context. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the cynicism might be a difficult one in a home environment. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of parents out there who have gone through <laughs> periods of extreme cynicism in their yeah. home life or, or spouses. We might get into this a little bit later when we get into the report, but it, one of the really interesting findings for the last three years, uh, what we found was we asked if you know the individual has caring responsibilities. So you know, maybe mm -hmm. caring for children, uh, elderly parents, or whoever it is. And for three years in a row, we found that there was no difference uh, between the levels of burnout for those who have caring, uh, uh, caring responsibilities and those who do not. That's 
a little bit counterintuitive and also you know like against how people think but um it's quite um but that's something that really stood out and we started asking a lot of people um why this might be happening it was a really interesting kind of response where they are definitely a lot more exhausted those who are carrying responsibilities than those who do not but the other pieces the um especially the cynicism part of it, um, they all talk about kind of having this um, kind of natural break um, because they have those responsibilities. So they're not just tied to work, mm. uh, mm. that they have something else that they need to care for. They need to have a hard stop at, I don't know, um, like three o'clock so they can go pick up kids. Whatever, you know, all of those things really um, actually creates a buffer uh, for them. And also there's also a lot of talks about just being more positive because you want to be, more positive when you when you're around your kids and things like that. you don't want to be all doom and gloom all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that uh, that kind of causes themselves to feel a bit better as well. Yeah, and I guess uh, especially with um smaller children there is a need to be really fully present with them a lot of the time as well, so not really that you know you're sort of there physically but you're mentally at work. Um yeah, a lot more difficult when you've got toddlers and and babies to deal with. Yeah. And that's the complex thing about burnout as well, right? It's not just about hours and commitments, but it's also like how much value or how much meaning, um, you know, the different pursuits you have might give you. Uh, and raising kids hopefully would give most parents a, a good sense of meaning and purpose. Most, yeah. Yeah, most. Yeah. Uh, I counted out some. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, before we get into some of the main findings, John, I'm, I'm really glad that you're talking about the uh, that burnout is multifaceted. And it's not just that feeling of emotional exhaustion. Um, I have seen a number of researchers to save time um, when using things like the Maslach burnout inventory that does actually have subscales that measure each of those. I'll just take out the cynicism and reduce uh, professional efficacy scales and just focus on the emotional exhaustion element. But I guess we could argue that it's not really burnout unless we also know about those other two areas. Yeah, that's right. I think we probably have all gone through periods where we're doing a lot of work that we really love and enjoy and we're doing like mm. the best work we can and we're exhausted, but it's really good stuff and we're really enjoying it. And so if you only measure on the exhaustion part, probably you would have said that, yeah, you were quite exhausted. But the other pieces really makes it like, I enjoy doing this. Now I, I, I want to keep doing this, which is, which kind of takes you out of that sort of burnout classification. Yeah, yeah. And um, actually, um, I did say that to someone just last week. I, I don't think I've worked harder or longer uh, in the last month in my career. Um, but I said, life is good. <laughs> you know? So I'm uh, getting a lot of sense of meaning and purpose out of what we're doing at the moment. So um, that seems to buffer that. But I am going to be taking a good week off in uh, yeah. over Christmas as well. That's good. Yeah. I, um, I, I have expressed my concerns about your health. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I'm a good job. I've, uh, I've been there before where I have felt quite burnt out um, across all three of those dimensions. And, um, you know, I, I now know the triggers for me and when I need to pull back. So, um, but John, um, let's get into um, <clears throat> the report, State of Workplace uh, Burnout. So what were some of the key findings from this year's report? Um, so one piece of finding, so what we're seeing in this year's data is that once again, the percentage of people experiencing burnout is continuing to rise. So it's actually quite a steady uh, rise in the last three years that we've been doing this. Uh, it's up to th about 38% in the global population. Uh, interestingly, Australia actually saw a slight drop in the level of burnout. It, it's dropped sort of 7% down from last year. So 
we're doing a little bit better here than the global population. Um, and we also found that women are also continuing to be more affected by burnout than men. Uh, what we've also seen from this year's study is that the age group that is experiencing the highest level of burnout um, has dropped. So in previous years, um, it's generally the 35 to 44 age group that's experiencing the highest level of burnout. This year, it's under the under 34 age group that's experiencing the highest levels of burnout, especially that 18 to 25 um, age group. They have had a astronomical jump uh, in the levels of burnout that they're having. And this is a, I think this is quite a dangerous trend that we really need to kind of keep an eye out because uh, it's showing that burnout is happening earlier in this in person's career. And as we know, the effects that burnout can have on an individual on a long-term kind of basis, it, as we kind of think about how are we going to have people work in the future, um, this is something I think is quite concerning. Um, another really interesting um, piece of finding we had was about the hybrid really about the hybrid work conversation. You know, that's been dominating most of the organizations uh, this year. And how do we do this right? Do we bring people back? Do we allow them the flexibility to work from home? And so we asked that question um, in this year's study, you know, where do you primarily work? Um, at home, you spend time to days in the office or are you working mostly from the office? And what we found was that those working from home over 80% of the time reported the highest level of burnout. And while those working two to three days, um, working two to three days in the office, um, show the lowest levels of burnout. So while correlation doesn't <laughs> mean causation, uh, it's a really interesting insight to add to this kind of hybrid work conversation about do we bring everybody back? Do we just let people work uh, from home? Yeah, so how much... Um... Do you factor in, you know, individual preference for hybrid versus full, fully remote? So Sorry. it might not be something that was, um, yeah. you know, unveiled in the research, but just mm. on that, that that hybrid discussion, I think uh, people like Elon Musk would say, no, you can't be productive unless you're in the office, you know, yeah. uh, 10 hours a day, five days a week or six days a week. Yeah. Um, how much do, like this is, pro yeah, this is an aside. Um, you know, so taking into account like um – things like disability or neurodivergence as well um, mm. where people really have a strong preference or even an Ill inability to not work um, away from the home. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it something that, you know, we should be d like deciding systemically and going, well, like you need to be in the office two to three days a week or should we, you know, be more doing on our individual case-by-case -case basis what, whatever is the, 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 the best perceived uh, by the individual? Hi listeners, Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia and myself and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions, and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishtx.com forward slash get hyphen started.
Now back to this episode. I actually think the conversation shouldn't doesn't like it shouldn't be you know how many days should we bring somebody back in the office, um, but more um, on what do people do when they're in the office. So if you get, make people come back to the office, they just sit on Teams or Zoom meetings all day. That is not a good use of time for right. anybody. But if we are able to kind of rethink what we do um, when we all come in together, we're doing collaborative work, we're doing um, even the socializing and networking kind of thing. And that is the focus of uh, uh, work. I think that would create a lot more value um, in why you're here and also just giving people a better reason to come in uh, to the office. As we'll probably talk about um, in a minute, um, the organizational support, it plays a really large part in mitigating uh, burnout. So that feeling of, oh, my company do does support me. They, they um, provide all of these things um, to support uh, what, uh, who I am and what I do. That is a really important role. And by coming in together, just being able to talk to your colleagues, going into a place, um, Wait, you know that this is where I work. You know, just have a little bit of just being proud of uh, that. That all sort of adds up, and it really helps in uh, some of the burnout um, that people feel. Yeah, no, that's a good good comment. Mm. Um, I had a um a thought. So where you were talking about the change in age group or or age demographic that's been impacted um most significantly, I'm just wondering if that's like, do you have any thoughts about the relationship with that and the pandemic and sort of the, um, the, the war on talent, if you like, and the demands for, um, for, for knowledge workers, that sort of thing? Like, are graduates, for example, and apprentices just being needed to acquire skills and knowledge and ability at a faster rate than they have maybe previously because of the, the state of the job market at the moment? I think there's. Uh, I think that definitely plays a part. I think jobs, even at the more junior levels, are becoming increasingly complex, and they're they want them to step up um, quicker and uh, take on more uh, faster. Um, so I definitely think that's one aspect. Um, the as another aspect that we've kind of found within the study is actually having to do with a bit of the macroeconomic trends that's going on out there. Uh, basically, stagnant. Uh, wages for the last three years, um, three plus years, um, and then the inflation that's happening. And so for especially the younger population who doesn't probably have as much savings as you know, your 35 to 44 uh, age group, this is a really big problem for them. They, you know, we t- talk to them and they're like, we, I, yeah, I'm having troubles paying rent and actually uh, you know, buying food. That is such a major cause of stressor that um, even though we do talk about burnout as purely kind of work-related, you just can't avoid that part of it when you're not sure if you can pay the rent. And that's adding on to their um, this age group stress. And that certainly, I mean, surely would add to cynicism as well that, you know, I'm working this full-time professional job and I can't afford to live. Um, that's, you know, the, I think most reasonable people would think that that's unconscionable. Um, you know, and so that would lead to a level of cynicism that, you know, my employer should actually be paying me sufficient that I can actually afford to live a reasonable life and not just live on instant noodles. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. We hear more and more about um, full-time workers needing a side job in order to afford um, just <laughs> paying the rent. So, yeah, that, that is all 
that is all true. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, certainly, um, you know, we've heard stories of people who have full-time jobs and who are homeless because rent has just got too much for them. So, yeah, lots of things broken that are probably beyond the scope of our conversation today. Now I'm feeling very sad, um, but let's <laughs> move past that, put that to the side, um, keep calm and carry on. Um, so the, some of the results that you've found are a strong connection between certain psychosocial factors and burnout in the workplace. Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, that's right. Um, so the purpose of our report it really is to equip those who want those who want to address burnout with you know, the evidence that they can present to the organization, to their leaders, uh, and also you know, the direction on what to focus on. So in this year's um, study, we asked questions about some of the psychosocial factors in organizations, such as engagement levels, uh, psychological safety, and uh, that sense of belonging. And what we found, um, again, correlation, uh, not causation, um, they all played a really big factor and there's really strong correlations between those factors and, and burnout. And so what we are kind of saying, you know, organizations can really double down on these efforts, not just as a nice thing to do or not just as a people initiative, but they can really think about these um, initiatives as a business initiative. Because as we know, those who are burnt out are a lot less productive and a lot uh, produce a lot less lower kind of quality of work than those uh, who are not uh, burned out. So uh, this is something that if businesses, especially um, in 2023, I think we're already hearing signs of this, uh, that we want to increase productivity, we want to have more innovation. Well, if that's what your organization wants, you um, would be really well served um, to focus on some of these, um, on addressing things like burnout in order for those things to happen. And having, I guess, increased numbers of burnt out individuals in the workplace, does that have an impact on on morale and then like the likelihood of other people to then experience burnout also? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we know that when one person burns out, if that's not the only person uh, that is really suffering, everyone around them, it really creates sort of Oh, this might be a bit dramatic, but like a death spiral where, you know, once one person starts you know, reducing their performance, being a lot more cynical, that really grows, um, spreads to their team. And if that team is, let's say, in a pretty business critical kind of role, everything else slows down because they are slowing down. And it just it creates like this uh, spiral that's that will become quite problematic for an organization to pull themselves out of. Yeah, death spiral's not negative at all. Certainly not. <laughs> not dramatic. Not dramatic or, no, no, no clickbait there. No. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you had a clip there. That's, that's, yeah, that's the clip. Yeah. A death spiral. That'll yeah. be the, the Is title, your organisation in a death spiral? That clip. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do a big like red circle on like John's yeah. finger or something. Yeah. <laughs> arrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but what, what you're talking about there is. Two, twofold, I guess. There's the you know shared experience of systemic factors um, that might be affecting people's uh, levels of burnout, and then when you have one person burnout, it reduces their performance, which means that other people need to lift theirs in order to uh, counteract that reduced productivity elsewhere in their team. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> um, so, John, like you said, the study of burnout and the experience of burnout is not new. 
Uh, it is something that has been getting a lot of attention uh, in recent times on the back of COVID, though. Um, but I guess many leaders have known this, right, that, that burnout has been a problem, um, but very little has been done. So do you have any insights as to why more hasn't been done by leaders to address burnout? Yeah, this is a question I've been asking uh, myself and also leaders that I've been talking to. Like, why? Like, you guys know this is a problem. <laughs> you got some of you have experienced burnout. Why are you, are you not doing more to that? And so, kind of putting on my psychology hat rather than my worksite uh, hat, I, this is, I guess, my hypothesis for for this. So, most of us, even our senior leaders, are human, and they have a really strong sense of self-preservation. And being the first one to really call for major changes in the way that an organization works or changes to the organizational culture, that can be really uncomfortable and also really unrewarding, like perhaps even career limiting. No one wants to be that first person to be rocking the boat or be seen as a problem. And so to raise these concerns means to take a lot of interpersonal risk for those uh, leaders, and most of them are just not willing to to do so. There's just not a, re- there's it's nobody's asking for it, and they wouldn't be rewarded uh, for it. Um, and so, just the way that organizations are set up, there doesn't have that room for an for a leader to actually step up and uh, say something. They make, or at least they make it really difficult. And mm. another reason for this hesitancy is that I think there's a level of cognitive dissonance that's happening. Uh, with a lot of these leaders. So a lot of senior leaders, they've had to endure all of these bad structures and cultures uh, that lead to burnout throughout their career. But not only have they survived, they have thrived and you know, they've risen to the top. They're now the, the senior leader. So they have, they've coped really well. So it's difficult, I think, for some of these leaders to believe that the way that they've been working is bad or to kind of accept that, oh, there's actually a better way to do this. You know, like they might think, you know, what have I had to pay an unnecessarily high price for my success? And, you know, they might kind of wonder, well, if others can thrive with or get to my level without having to sort of pay their dues and do all of these things I had to go through, does that lessen my own achievements? And so this kind of dissonance really, I think, um, plays a really big source of inaction or even rejection uh, when you know, people like us try to uh, talk to them about what they can do within the organization. Yeah, that really resonates with me. I see that in so many industries, whether it's like legal, education, healthcare, you know, the people at the top have been doing it for a while and largely through a lot of hours, you know, and a lot of hard work. Um, and so, you know, there is that kind of mentality of what's wrong with this new group of people that are coming through that, they don't have the backbone, they don't have like they're not resilient enough and maybe they don't belong in this role rather than going, well, how do we actually make these roles more suitable for a broader range of people? But there's also looking at like how 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 has the how has society changed mm. from you know, from when I was going through and, you know, I think a lot of people at that level of career were still in Australia anyway, fortunate enough to have a completely free tertiary education. Uh, were able to buy a house, mm. you know, at what twenty percent of their salary or, or mm. something like that. So, you know, if you think about like the social determinants of health, mm. those were significantly different um, for that cohort of people when they were coming up at, as graduates and sort of and getting into their career. Um, so there was, I guess, more more capacity for them to 
potentially deal with um, challenges associated with work because they didn't have their psychological bandwidth being consumed by those other social determinants, if that makes sense. And and the world has changed very significantly now. And, yeah, pe- people don't necessarily have that same capacity for um, work-related stress because there are so many other stressors that they're having to deal with now that, that maybe weren't there in the past. Yeah, which makes sense from John's research with those younger workers being more severely impacted by burnout. Yeah. And I think priorities, just to add to your point, you know, um, I think people's priorities have changed, um, you know, especially the younger generation. Their priority ha- is no longer sort of, you know, work comes first and everything else comes later. They really w- want that balance uh, work life there. They have a lot of other interests that they want to pursue. And so I think that, that the shift in priorities in people, and that's why I think we see a lot of the, you know, what's happening with great resonation and all those um, type of behaviors, right? It's, you know, it just doesn't fit what people are looking for anymore. And organizations who aren't able to kind of adapt, they're just going to have a harder and harder time finding people, especially good people to work uh, for them. And a lot of that comes back to psychological contract as well, right? Where, again, if we look to um, older generations, the psychological contract of employment was a lot different than it is today um, where, you know, there was, I guess, that longer-term commitment from an employer as well that, that you would sort of have, have a job for life potentially um, where that's no longer the case. And so it makes sense that then from the employee's perspective, if your employer is no longer offering you that um, sort of security and stability, then as an employee you're also going to change the way that you view your relationship with your employer in response to that. Yeah. So, look, this is a really, you know, burnout is a big problem, right? It's a complex problem. It's a challenging problem, um, a wicked problem. We could probably describe it as um, if we want to use that type of language. So for people who are interested in doing something about it, what would you recommend as their first step? Uh, Like you said, burnout is complex and addressing it isn't going to be easy. Unfortunately, I I know I don't want to be that. I wish I could just tell you, just do these three. Uh, <laughs> just do these three things, and uh, it'd be, it'd be great for a clip, John. If you could just, yeah, <laughs> yeah just just buzz feed it up for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't. You don't have to do that. John. No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> but uh, so, in terms of next steps, I recommend first of all reading up on the subject. I think there's a lot of I don't want to say misinformation, but there's a lot of information out there that might not be correct about some of the sources and um, some of the root causes uh, for burnout. So um, so plug here. I'll maybe start with the State of Burnout Report. There's a lot of good information about some of the core sources uh, there, but there's also a lot of great books. As such, um, there's a new one that's come out called The Burnout Challenge by Christina Maslach and Michael Leder, who are the two of the you know, foremost experts on this topic. A lot of fantastic information in there. And then, you know, after just consuming, you know, some of the information about burnout, the next step is really to start a conversation, really talk about it, because some of the things that you might read versus how it might actually look in real life, you know, it, the best way to do that is to kind of have a conversation with your team or uh, with your peers. There's still a lot of stigma attached to speaking about burnout, as, you know, I think we mentioned earlier, it's still widely seen as a default of the individual, you know, something that you're not doing or something you're maybe you're not good enough and that's why you're burning out. 
the more we can openly have these type of conversations as to why burnout really happens, uh, especially when leaders are able to lead this, these conversations, the more we can kind of destigmatize burnout as um, individual, or we can sort of point burnout as an organizational issue and not an individual one. And in these conversations too, I suggest choosing one of these uh, factors that contributes to burnout. So for example, a manageable workload, uh, just, just pick one, have a discussion about what you know, you're, within your team you can do to reduce this. So you know, addressing burnout is definitely one of those things that doesn't have to come from the top. It's often best when it gets co-designed and implemented by, the, those, by, by smaller teams. You can just all agree on, for example, hey, we're not going to email each other on the weekends. Yeah, or when somebody goes on holiday, we don't email them uh, or we don't contact them. You know, even little things like that really can start um, getting the ball rolling on what, how we can address this. And I would say, finally, if you're a people leader, um, you know, one thing to know, it's not on you to come up with a solution. You don't need to be responsible to come up with the solutions. Um, it'd be great if you did, but it, you, it's not on you. Uh, your role is actually, as a leader, to create that space and the opportunities and to support your team to kind of design, to design and kind of trial different ideas. Right? Not all of them is going to work, but your support in letting them try out different things, that is, um, that would be a really key goal, a key way to kind of figure out what actually works for you and your team. Yeah, good advice there. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that's a thing. I'm not sure if we've talked about it on the podcast before. It's definitely something we've spoken about um, recently, though, internally. Crafting. No, the you're gonna keep guessing. Um, I could. It's annoying, isn't it? It is annoying. Yeah. yeah, I only did it once. I didn't do it five times in a row. Yeah, the the fact that uh, both functional team uh, members, so HR, health and safety, as well as line managers, don't need to be experts on organisational design uh, or change management um, or coming up with controls to deal with psychosocial hazards. Um, but you just need to, like you say, create that space where you can have those conversations with your teams. Be, be willing to experiment and go, like, let's give something a shot and see if it actually addresses some of these things that we've identified as an issue. I mean, just as a personal example, um, we found in our, our marketing and brand team that there was a bit of role ambiguity going on. And what we've initiated is just like a 15-minute stand-up meeting at the beginning of each week to just talk about, hey, what are the current priorities like when can you be expecting different things to come in and, you know, um, that sort of thing and just get that alignment. And that's done a world of good with people feeling like they're on the same page. So they don't need to be, um, you know, you don't need to be an expert, um, you know, in uh, psychosocial risk management. You don't need to be an org site. You don't need to, um, uh, you know, have all the answers. You know, it's about consulting with the team yeah. and being willing to give things a shot and going, well, is this does this work or does it not? <laughs> Micro experiments. Yeah. Yeah. Like I do on Joel. Like, oops. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> Should be wise to it. Um, so, John, thank you so much for the discussion so far. Um, one question that we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast is um, looking into the future. This is an aspirational one. What would your hopes for the future of workplace mental health be? Um. I think what we need and what I hope happens is that there is a movement to sort of change the way that we work. Um, you know, 
we've got a great opportunity right now to shift the way that people think, not just about uh, what they work on, but how they work and also what we value from work. So it's really shifting away from being busy uh, to <laughs> higher value. Pro uh, being productive actually means uh, you know, it's not just sitting in an office for eight hours while your manager is your, uh, in terms of productivity. And so, you know, this movement, like we really need a movement similar to those that we see um, for climate or social injustice, um, where, you know, right now we know there is a major general uh, dissatisfaction out there with the status quo, with how you know, people are rewarded, how people are, are treated. And there's this broad sense that pretty much no one's going to address the problem. So you know, we um, really need to start amplifying and also be vocal about um, and providing this positive vision of this path forward on what it can look like, what work can look like, you know, how can, what work can uh, be where it is, as well as um, being really productive for the organization. And so when we get all of these um, matched up, when these voices kind of get loud enough, that's when we'll see these changes. And uh, that's going to help those around us and also for future generations. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, particularly a bit, like you say, around sustainable work. Um, I did hear someone commentate uh, on this the other day where they were talking about how um, our, and kind of goes back to Joelle's point that she was making earlier about how our needs have changed as a society, whereas before it was about um, security. So, you know, I'll work as many hours as I need to provide enough um, money for my family to be able to survive. Um, and then it became about quality of life. Like, you know, I want to have, you know, um, all of the, latest digital devices and, and a level of comfort. Uh, but now it's about um, quality of, of work life. So it's not just enough to have work-life balance, as you referred to, and having, you know, your, your set time where you're working and your set time away. But now, like, the hours that we spend working, we want to be really meaningful and, and aligned to, you know, our sense of mission and purpose as well. So we're definitely seeing that, like, uh, and people are more willing to leave work now that doesn't align to their, their values um, so I think it's a sign of things to come that, you know, companies need to continue to adapt. And I feel like that's, that's definitely happening, but it's still sort of happening at that individual level. I, you know, I think this just needs to be something that sort of brings us all together where we're all wanting this. And I think if we can kind of sit, uh, talk about this as a collective voice, definitely organizations and leaders in them will listen to a lot more. Yeah, and we're starting to see that for sure, right? Like there are some companies that are starting to lead from the front and the more that do it, it will, um, you know, it's it's a competitive advantage for those ones that are on the bleeding edge at the moment. Like when they can say how we're not just throwing benefits at you, our work is actually really good. We don't need to like, you know, buffer all the crap that we're throwing on you by having all these perks, but the work itself is actually really good and you're going to enjoy working here. Um, so at the moment, those companies have moved early, have a competitive advantage in attraction and retention. Uh, but, you know, it will be just an expect base level expectation soon enough, I'd imagine. And so do you have any parting words of advice for listeners who want to get started helping their organisation tackle burnout? Um, I think the first thing would probably be, um, hey, have a conversation within um, your organisation and see if this is where your organisation, a priority that your organization wants to take on. I think it's really hard to kind of force a conversation like this onto your leaders and also the organization. Um, you know, having that conversation to, to see how this can be prioritized along with other things, you know, instead of this being a separate, oh, we're gonna address burnout as a separate hey, productivity 
or it attaches to the productivity and innovation piece or you know, other things that's already going on, how can we use burnout as a way to kind of enhance that? And I think that will actually really help uh, those who are wanting to address this kind of attach to something that's already um, happening and also uh, create that case study of this is how uh, addressing things like burnout can help some of the business priorities um, as well. Yeah, so finding the pain points in the organisation that burnout can can be related to or where there's a case that, that those two things are related and, and sort of attach it that way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and when there's already a program of activity within mm-hmm. an organisation, like pulling it in underneath that umbrella is yeah. better than starting up a new program when people are going, we've got too many programs going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, nice. Hey, John, it's uh, been really enlightening. Uh, we'll definitely put a link to your research in the show notes um, and that um, state of work uh, workplace burnout. Um, uh, I think the workplace we can probably remove from that is probably redundant, the title moving forward, the state of burnout. Well, <laughs> if, if there's still a um, misunderstanding in the general population that burnout is a workplace problem. Yeah, well, one day, one day we'll be able to remove it once the population. One, one day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like, well, people should know this. No, people don't know it yet. No, they really don't. They really don't. But uh, John, it's been really enlightening and I really love it when we have people like yourself and Carol Hahn's another really recent one that we did where, you know, they've done some really great research and just being able to unpack it in a really practical way. So, um, no, thank you very much for... Um, for participating in the podcast and sharing your um, your great research. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Great. Well, um, that brings us to the end of the episode, listeners. So remember, we do video these when we have our conversations with our guests and you can check check out those videos on the Flourish TX YouTube channel. Uh, we also take snippets and there'll be a couple of good ones that Joel will be able to choose from today from John um, and we'll put that on our LinkedIn page uh, for Flourish TX where you'll find a number of other short clips. Uh, while you're over on LinkedIn, you'll find Joel and myself frequent there. Uh, and you'll be able to catch up with us over uh, direct message or in the chat uh, if you'd like to continue the conversation. And uh, I see John's pretty active on there as well, so uh, definitely engage with him. Um, But that's it for this episode. We'll catch you next one. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.